0: From the Old Testament lesson, he will swallow up death and victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all, off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. What a powerful phrase that really sums up Our Christian faith, hope, and love contained within that phrase's words is the very core of our Christian belief, our trust in God's mercy, our hope in future glory, and our faith in Jesus' salvation for us. In short, it is the gospel. Easter, the resurrection of this man we call Jesus, is the good news of God to a sick and suffering world. But how? Why? Why? What does one man's rising from the grave 2,000 years ago mean for you and me? Many in our world and even in the church don't seem to grasp the significance of our Lord's rising from the grave. I recently read a story, for example. uh, This was from a woman who attended a Christian undergraduate college. One day, her professor asked a fairly provocative question to a class. If scientific evidence... was found that proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ didn't in fact rise from the dead, would you still be a Christian? Now this woman was utterly surprised that almost all of her classmates said, well, yeah, of course. The moral teachings of Christianity, the fellowship, the camaraderie, it's still worth participating in and following even if the resurrection didn't actually happen. But she raised her hand, and as one of the sole voices in the class, she said, Nope, if he didn't rise from the grave, then I'm out of here. Everything hinges on that. Similarly, I had a professor in seminary who, in the days before he became a seminary professor, was quite the drug addict and abuser of alcohol. And he would often say in class and in different settings, You know, if Jesus didn't get out of that tomb on Easter, then grab some whiskey and line up the cocaine, because this life is pointless. It's a bit crass. But he makes his point. Why such strong opinions about Jesus' resurrection? Would you agree? Perhaps not. After all, there have been plenty of accounts of people coming back to life over the years, haven't there? There are a few accounts in the Old Testament of resurrections, and Jesus himself performed a couple during his ministry. I even know a woman from my previous parish in Virginia who, in the hospital, was dead for 23 minutes before miraculously coming back alive? Why don't we gather to celebrate her rising from the grave or these other people's rising from the tomb? What makes the bodily resurrection of a Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago the cause of such a joyous festival like today? The answer is the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus is the glorious pinnacle and centerpiece Of this great tapestry we call the gospel of God. Now to fully unpack this we of course have to ask the question what do we mean by gospel? It's a word we hear often enough in the church but I bet if I polled most Christians, even some in this room, probably wouldn't be able to articulate the gospel message. Most would probably in our world point towards the first few books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the four gospels, don't we? But that is because they present the gospel. They are not the gospel itself. Let's answer the question then. And first, we do so with a little history. This word gospel is an Old English word, and it comes from two other Old English words. The first is goad, which just means good, and spell which means news or story. We still have that word. People who give their spiel, they give a story, they give a talk. And so the word Godspell was eventually shortened to gospel. And it just means good news, good report, good account. And that's the direct translation of the Greek word, euangelion, or as it's sometimes said in English, evangel, evangel. And that word evangel, it's also two Greek words put together that just mean good report. Now, contrary to what a lot of people assume, the word gospel or evangel is not original to the New Testament or to Christianity. It was actually a fairly common word among Greek and Roman culture in the centuries leading up to the time of Jesus. An evangel or a piece of good news had a very specific meaning. It was the report concerning the king, the emperor, either about his ascension to the throne, the evangel would go out to all the empire that the new emperor had ascended the throne, but as was more common, it was about his military victories. In the Roman world, messengers called evangelists would be sent from the battlefield to the various cities to report the good news that the emperor and his armies had won. The news would be met with feasting and celebration, and, of course, usually pagan religious worship and ceremony. It seems it was this meaning of the word that was then picked up by Jewish scholars when they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, about 200 years before our Lord was even born. Listen to this passage from the book of Isaiah. It's one of the first instances where gospel or evangel is used by God's people to talk about God's work among the world. prophet Isaiah says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, gospel, evangel. Who publishes peace, who brings good news, gospel of happiness. Who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has barred his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In pagan Greek and Roman culture, gospel meant good news about the king particularly his military victories. In Isaiah, as we just heard, it is applied to God to mean good news about God and his victory on behalf of Israel. Isaiah then connects the word gospel to this report of God's salvation. Salvation or deliverance for Isaiah probably was a very physical thing. Israel needed real deliverance and salvation from these enemy nations that surrounded her on all sides. But all of this sets the stage for this word gospel to be used in the New Testament in regards to God's great victory over our greatest enemy. So as we turn to the New Testament, we probably wouldn't be surprised to learn that the word gospel appears over 70 times, 7-0. What is surprising, at least to me, is that the word is never defined The various authors of the New Testament never say, and the gospel is this. They just assume that the readers, you and me, understand evangel and what it means given the events of Christ's life. Perhaps, though, the closest we come to a summary or definition is from St. Paul's opening words in his epistle to the Romans. If you have a Bible, you might want to look at it. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. What do we learn from this passage? Well, first, Paul says that he was set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel of God. The good news of God's victory as king, it is from God and accomplished by God. We do not earn our way into the gospel, nor do we earn the reward of the gospel. All is by grace. Second, Paul says it was promised beforehand. The good news of God is something predicted in the Old Testament and rooted in its story. This is something we heard in the Isaiah reading earlier, and something we'll speak about more in just a moment. Third, the gospel is, as Paul says, concerning his son. That is, the gospel centers on Jesus Christ. If you can explain the gospel to someone and you never mention Jesus, you haven't actually explained the gospel. Fourth, Paul says Jesus is a descendant of David and that he is the son of God. This shows us that at the center of this gospel message is not just that there's a man named Jesus, but it's who is this Jesus? He isn't just any regular human. Yes, He's a descendant of King David. He is fully man, according to the flesh, but he is more than that. He is the son of God. He is fully God and fully man, as the great ancient creeds of the church articulate for us. Fifth, Paul says Jesus was declared to the world as the son of God through his resurrection from the dead by the spirit of holiness. This is a reference to this third person of the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He raised Jesus from the grave and granted him new life after his death on the cross. As our reading from St. John, read by Father Ted this morning, makes clear, this was a real, actual, historical event. It wasn't a figment of the disciples' imaginations. Jesus really did get up and walk out of that grave. 2,000 years ago. Sixth, and this is key for us this morning, by his resurrection from the grave, Paul says, Jesus was declared Lord of all and became the mystical means through which we receive grace. To state it differently, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection bring about grace from God the Father. Grace is shorthand for all the spiritual blessings and salvation from God, including eternal life, and a loving relationship with him. Like I said, this passage might be the closest thing to a summary or definition of the gospel in the New Testament. But it still requires some work on our part to put all the pieces together and to make a cohesive answer if someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? If gospel or evangel means the good news about the king and his work and his victory, Then in the Old Testament, like the Isaiah passage we read a few moments ago, it meant God's promised plan to rescue and redeem Israel, particularly to rescue her from her warring enemies. However, there's a hint, a hint that something bigger and grander was anticipated by these very physical references to salvation. Notice the Old Testament lesson that was read this morning. From Isaiah's prophecy, it is about God's victory and salvation. But the enemy isn't Babylon or Assyria or King Nebuchadnezzar. It's death. Death is depicted as the great primordial enemy of every human who has ever lived or ever will live. We each are threatened by death, cursed by death, destined for death. That is our enemy, and it is our own doing because of sin. And Isaiah is pointing in the passage to a coming victory by God over death. Listen again to what we heard read earlier. And he that is God will destroy in this mountain, that's Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. This is Israel's ultimate salvation. Salvation from dying eternally. And this is the fullest sense of the gospel. God's good news of victory over death. And while it's only hinted at in the Old Testament it becomes fully manifested in the new. Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, does what no other can do. As man, he takes upon himself our sinful flesh. He becomes one of us completely in every way save sin. Yet as the second member of the blessed Trinity, as fully God, he can do what no other human can do. He can willingly submit himself to death even though he does not deserve it. Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. They allowed sin and rebellion to enter this world, and through it, the penalty of sin, death. Why do you and me and everyone who has ever lived and will live die? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all children of Adam and Eve. Jesus, though, who is perfect, who is perfect Not just perfect man, but perfect God. He is without sin. He does not deserve the penalty of death. Yet even still as one of us, and in full harmony with our fallen race, he chooses to undertake the great pain of death, the great curse of our human race, the great burden of our rebellion and hatred towards God. And this is where the resurrection today fits into this story. This is why we are here this morning celebrating Jesus rising and not the rising of any other. For he is the one who took on death undeservingly. Death overstepped its bounds that original Good Friday. The evil force of death took one who could not be bound. It took one who was himself life and grace it took one with the power to undo Adam's fall into sin. And what we witness in the resurrection is not merely the coming back to life of Jesus as a reward from God the Father for a life well lived, but we witness the very salvation of the human race. Death was overcome by the God-man. Death was undone by life. When Jesus walked out of his grave, death itself was left dead in the tomb. The complete fabric of reality and of this cosmos was altered that day. And the great and glorious and good news of the New Testament and of the church is this. You, sinful though you be, you can participate in Christ's resurrection. You too can die to sin and death and receive the Holy Spirit unto eternal resurrected life. You too can have your mortal bodies freed from death and be resurrected at the end of the age. What happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago is your promise that you too will come out of your tomb at the end of time. That, dear church, is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus' life, death, and especially resurrection, anyone and all can have their sins forgiven, their death undone, and their eternal life sealed with God forever. The resurrection of Jesus is a promise to all of us who have died through holy baptism with Christ. It is a promise that these mortal bodies will experience the same supernatural rising that he did. Listen to what must be one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, a passage seeped in the resurrection of Jesus, Revelation 21, 1-5. through And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Death has died, dear church. This means your death, the death of your loved ones, the death that, so, that seems so fiercely to rage in this world. All of it is waning like the darkness of the morning in light of the risen Christ. And so what grieves you this morning? Is it sickness? Is it the war in the Ukraine and the report of the murder of so many innocent people? Is it the death of loved ones? Or is it the thought of your own impending death? Whatever sadness fills your heart this morning, whatever grief grips your soul, hear the gospel of God. Christ is risen from the grave, trampling down death by death. And upon those in the tomb, he is bestowing life. Hell has no victory. Death has no sting. Behold, the risen Christ is making all things new. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed.